Always honest, often blunt, and never afraid, this is The Narrative. I'm Center for Christian Virtue President Aaron Baer, here with my co-host on our podcast, David Mahan, our policy director. Uh, we got a special episode for you today. We are uh, now wrapping up our first uh, full volume here on The Narrative. Uh, uh, this this volume was on race, and, and uh, for those of you who are, are catching your first episode here, what we wanted to do uh, really with this uh, podcast was we... There's there's a lot of noise already out there. There's a lot of conversations happening on a lot of topics, uh, and so we wanted to think through how could we be uh, really a, a service to the church, a service to, to anybody uh, when they're looking at the the world uh, today and trying to understand what's true, what's false. Uh, I really think our last episode with with Will Riley was a, a great example of of the the need to do that. Um, but really trying to unpack the the common narratives uh, that we hear around issues that. Um, you know, you're, you're told you have to think one way or another, uh, and a lot of times those things don't always line up with truth. Um, and so what we decided to do uh, with the narrative was uh, to take an issue and, and dissect it from all these different perspectives. Um, and uh, on today's episode, we're just going to kind of look back, uh, have a conversation, talk about what it was that has sort of stood out to us through these these episodes. Um, and, but it's not just going to be David and I uh, talking uh, with you. It's well, we're also going to be bringing in a couple of young ladies from our team here at, at Center for Christian Virtue that uh, have else helped us produce these podcasts. They're the they're the bookers. They're the the the, the ones that help us get the guests and make sure that David and I don't say anything too uh, nonsensical. Um, but uh, but actually, but before I bring in uh, Maddie and Claire, I want to ask uh, just for from 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 David. You know what's. Uh, What's really stood out for you and what, what jumped out to you in this, this podcast? I, I, I was um, just looking back at, at some of the guest names that we have, you know, Woodson and Roe and, you know, Harrison, these guys. Um, and, um, and and even, you know, just, the, you know, the taboo conversation we had with, uh, with Riley. Uh, Dr. Forbes was awesome talking about family and, and Larry Wilson and the policing. I just, I, you know, it, I was, it's refreshing to... Um, be able to hear and talk about this topic from folks that I respect. Uh, I, I know most of these guys personally, um, and you know, over the years, have really wanted more and more people to hear them. And so I'm just, I'm just better than blessed. Uh, I mean, that folks got to hear Woodson, and and uh, we got to lead the conversation. And um, and the other thing is, and I don't know if this is just, if this is fair to say, but you know, from an African American perspective. Sometimes you just get tired of, of hearing like, you know, seven to one in terms of, you know, you got one black voice versus, you know, seven white voices uh, on a topic. And just to be able to hear so many strong African-American voices uh, from diverse backgrounds, uh, you know, I, I thought that was unique. Yeah, well, and I think that's a, especially when you say the, the diverse backgrounds here, you know, the, these the, 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 the people we had, our guests on these episodes, um, you know, they were all African-American leaders in their communities, but their backgrounds are also oh, different. Yeah. Their, their expertise, you know, pastors, law enforcement officers, academics, scholars, scholars civil yeah. rights leaders. And a lot of but, but I, I think if there was one thing that you would see in common with all of them, um, they're people that work with people. Right. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're yeah, you, you were, use this word a lot, David, especially describing your background. They're, they're practitioners. Uh, they're, they're people that are, are. Uh, connected to to real life uh, and 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 bring that perspective in um, that isn't always the the you know the the, the mainstream narrative around things. So um, with that, I want to bring in first. I'm going to bring in Claire Dyson. Claire's so Claire is our communications coordinator here at CCV. That's right. 
she just graduated from OSU with what's what would you what was your oh, you are, had like you, three are you majors. are you ready for this? It's yeah. public management, leadership, and policy, and I specialize in nonprofit management because I'm clearly after your. She's job. going after my job, <laughs> and you can have it actually. After, oh, you get, no. yeah, after, after this right, week after, is yours. After this, yeah, after you know. <laughs> And it, you know, we, we're, we're, we're uh, ready to, we'll turn over the keys to you guys and see you guys in a few months, but, oh gosh, um, hot mess. but, uh, but yeah, Claire, I mean, for, for, for you, why don't you share a little bit, just big picture and we'll, we'll dive into some of these, uh, uh, discussions we have, but what really jumped out to you through these first, uh, through this first volume? Yeah, for sure. Honestly, I was talking with, uh, David and, and Maddie before we jumped on here today. Uh, one of the big things that jumped out to me was that even though we had each guest come on a particular perspective on race, it's it's really so much more than that. None of our phenomenal guests stayed in one lane because it's not what the common narrative is. It's not just a single layer of race as being the issue. It's really so much more. It, it's the breakdown of family. It's not having your mom and dad married, raising you. It's not... It's it's when when you got inner city kids literally stuck there. They're not allowed to transfer to other better schools around them. It's it's when you don't have a strong church presence in the culture. It was it's it's so much more. And the the discourse to uh, use uh, Will Riley's word on it, the discourse is that it is an easy peasy lemon squeezy problem and that's race and to that's fix exactly it what did she said. just say easy <laughs> that, that's exactly i think that was the phrase <laughs> that will. call will and check on that yeah know, that was exactly yeah. uh, if will use it it would probably wouldn't need i bleach. only use technical but, uh, terminology uh, uh, but no, that's no that's right no 100 well maddie i want to ask you so maddie brodsky uh is our uh multimedia uh coordinator here at ccv she graduated from the dayton design school did i get that right false what was it? <laughs> the Modern College of Design. It's in Dayton. Whatever. Dayton Design uh, School of Modern College of thing. Design. <laughs> it's no, really no, no. fine. Yeah. Something like that. At least at least I yours doesn't have like six words a... in the major like Claire's does. But uh <laughs> but I mean Maddie, from 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 your perspective, again, like and, and I, I've appreciated with both of you guys, you know, for, for for those of you who don't know CCV too well, we we do um we do daily prayer in our office. Uh, and, uh, and, and I, one of the, the, the best things about it is, you know, we have a, a, a pretty diverse staff here, uh, all different walks of life, different denominations, different ethnic backgrounds, different, uh, ages. Um, and you know, we have the, the young crew and the older crew and, you know, David's on the far oh, end of that older wow. crew, <laughs> wow. but, uh, but, you know, Matt, Maddie and Claire, a lot of times bring in a, a really good perspective, especially about how. Uh, the you know the topics of today are, are impacting uh, their generation. So I, I don't know, Maddie, what what really jumped out to you through all this? Uh, just overall, it was like really eye opening. I mean, I already like had the same um, opinion as the rest of us here do on uh, some of these things, but it was really like eye opening and like very educational um, and um, just bringing light on a lot of the situations, like the. Um, Micaiah Bryant situation, I would that was like so cool to like hear the perspective of as as yeah. bad of a situation it was. It was so awesome to be able to um, hear the the viewpoint of a police officer mm -hmm. and like bringing out all the technical um, things that happen and like there's no way that he could have done this. He couldn't have done this. He, he like literally, like I said right. earlier, were you there? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like I just, it's just like, it was so educational. And yeah. I, it, yeah. 
I think it's like yeah. so important for people to hear this stuff because if they're just listening to the media, they're not hearing the truth. Yeah. They're hearing yeah. what people want them to hear. Yeah. It was kind of yeah. like our, our discussion with Riley, you know, about um, do, do facts even matter anymore? And and I think when when we hear from these guys, you know, like the Ian Road talking about the background of education and race and um, the background of, of of racism in terms of uh, violence and things like that, you know, when you start learning the, the the facts between the narratives, right, on the right and the left, it is very interesting, right? What actually happened with Makai Bryant? What actually happened or is happening with education and uh, and minority communities? You know, it's it's, and I, I think just having these guests on brought you to the realization there's so much that we thought we knew that we didn't. Mm -hmm. And the question is, why don't we? You know, if if these lives are so important, um, why don't we have the facts and information presented? Exactly. Um, I, that's been one of my frustrations too. Is I've gotten to sit in on every single conversation. I've, I've gotten to learn from you, David and Aaron, and and all of the the speakers that we have on and off the podcast. It's it's the frustration, the sense of betrayal. Like, where is the media? Where are the journalists? I know journalists. I have friends who are journalists. I know it's not everyone, but the narrative that is out there it's not telling all the sides it's not telling the facts behind mm. these cases it's it's one side it's one opinion and i don't i don't necessarily want your opinion i want you to tell me the truth and let me form my own opinion right amen amen well i think that's a, a really good uh you know talking about uh we, we, i just kind of want to go back and 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 look at some of these and you can go and and uh, catch these episodes, but you know, really, as we've had time to digest the conversations and, and what it means for us that, uh, going forward from here, and I think you know, one of the, the big things for us, especially, is we're, we're looking back, is, is also look back and then also look forward about what does this mean about uh, how how we should be thinking about and looking at these issues going forward and responding to these issues. Uh, and I, I think a, a really great example of that is is really our, our first, uh, the, our, our very first episode we did with Bob Woodson uh, from the Woodson Center, um, who is, uh, you know, again, th there's there's few people like Bob Woodson who would, uh, who, who um, you know, no, no one has as much of a right for someone to just put your feet up and enjoy retirement than Bob Woodson. That's right. Um, and what, w with what he did through the civil rights movement, but he is as active and going today. Um, and, and, you know, even, you know, just this week, David, you were uh, a part of a conversation really carrying on Bob Woodson's legacy, um, whether directly or indirectly. I don't even know if, if the Willie up there is aware of Bob, but very much in the same vein of uh, up in Youngstown. So, yeah. I mean, what do you see Bob doing today with, with, with his message as, as a former civil rights leader and what's going forward from here and, and, and what people can be doing now? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who have, um, you know, a really narrow view of, of the civil rights movement. You know, get, one of my greatest pleasures uh, of this season that I'm in right now is just being able to sit with great men and women of God and just soak up knowledge, you oh, know. And, thanks, man. I, and honestly, I mean, thing. honestly, I would include you. I, I would literally oh. include you. Oh, I feel bad. I'm, uh, <laughs> on the on the lower end of that spectrum. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I, I consider you a mentor with all of this policy stuff and everything. Um, even though, never mind. But, <laughs> but, but you mentioned, you mentioned, uh, um, you mentioned, you know, Bob Woodson and, and the impact that he's making on people all, all, over, all over the country. He's got 2,500 grassroots folks and uh, Pastor Willie Peterson in, in Youngstown is also part of our uh, Joseph Council. 
uh, really sought Woodson out years ago when um, the crime was so bad in his area, children were dying um, right and left. And um, he went to Mr. Woodson for his model on how to um, create a violence-free zone in the community. And to this day, when I went to visit uh, Willie this week, um, you know, all the deaths that are happening uh, wasn't in his neighborhood, the east side. It was on the south side of Youngstown. And they went to Willie uh, from the south side. They said, what did you do on the east side? So years later, um, that violence-free zone is still effective. And uh, that's the kind of content and, and experience that Mr. Woodson brings to communities all over the country. And that, that we could have him speaking to us here at CCV is, is, is truly a blessing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I, I think one of the things, too, that really with with Bob's message as I, as I thought back uh, through it and uh, and, and really uh, there there's some uh, especially you know the the, the rise and 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 ongoing debate around critical race theory and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about critical race theory on today's episode um, but you know one, one of the big things that that uh, Bob really uh, highlighted and and brought to uh, to the forefront was you know the the, the modern movement pushing the, the modern uh, folks carrying the civil rights banner and, and carrying the, the, the really pushing critical race theory and just critical theory gen- generally, you know, are, are antithetical to what Martin Luther King and uh, the, the, the really the, the march that he led, the movement he led, uh, primarily around his, his point of nonviolence. Right. Um, and, and, and also, too, around, again, this is, you know the, the 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 concepts of critical race theory are are fundamentally Marxist that that call for the destruction of uh, of the family, call for the de- destruction of organized religion. Uh, two things that were pillars of Martin Luther King's movement, of the modern civil rights movement. Of you know, it was a religious movement of of a lot of fathers. You know, honestly, that Dr. Forbes' father was one of them. Um, uh, that. Uh, that led to the success of the civil rights movement. So both both in in approach, but also in end goals, the the, the modern civil rights movement that's happening today is antithetical to uh, to what what you see happening today. You know, I, I'd be interested from you know Maddie and, and Claire for you guys when you think about your friends and you think about the, the the pressures that you guys see today around uh, the 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 whether it's the civil rights movement or the race issues. You know what are the pressures you're feeling today on on the mm. on these topics? I know last year when we had all of the the marches, the, the rise of BLM in the public sphere. Um, that's when honestly I felt more pressure than I had before. I I was homeschooled, went to a couple of liberal colleges, so I was exposed to it in college. But when I when I moved to Columbus, I got really involved in the arts world. I I was going to dances. I was uh, involved in the liberal arts. I love it. It's where my heart is. I grew up in a, in a music family, and when when we had all the BLM going up, I. It was it was hard because I had all my friends, you know, posting Blackout Tuesday, or I would I posted something on social media and it had nothing to do with race. And I had one of my black friends from the liberal arts world. He responded saying, "Wow, this is so insensitive." I basically said, like, "I can't believe you shared this right now." And mm. the only reason why wow. he'd be saying that is because it wasn't related to race. And world, the world doesn't have to revolve around race. Mm. And it, it was so sad to me because that, that same friend, 
um, was what was a part of those marches. And he would share on social media how, you know, he was doing his best to make sure they weren't violent. He was leading them away from mm. potentially dangerous situations. But he was still um, upset that I wasn't a part of it. Mm. And I wasn't I wasn't condoning. I wasn't condemning on social media. I was simply talking about something else. And I was vilified because of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Matt, did you have something? Oh, I, that just reminds me of when um, the thing on social media where it was like posting the black square mm-hmm. and like I didn't post the black square and people are like, why aren't you posting the black square? And I'm like, what kind of friends do you guys have? <laughs> We're diverse, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. When it was like the, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So like that was just one of the crazier things that's happened to me. I mean, not that crazy, but um and also, I, I know a lot of liberal pr- people. I have a lot of liberal friends. And um, it's limiting to our friendships because mm. we can't talk about that kind of stuff yeah. in front of each other because we know it's just going to end up in an argument because both of us are just so hard-headed on yeah. either right. side. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, even, like, some of my family, they have, like, Black Lives Matter a, a flag out in their yeah on their house. And... I'm like, do you know what that organization is doing? Do you know what they're standing for? Have you gone on their website? Have you looked into it? They're like, oh, no, it's just because I I love black people and I want to support them. And I'm like, yeah, but have you looked into it? Like, and it's it's just like it's so disheartening and frustrating and sad to me because like there's so many people who think they're standing for one thing, but there's a whole other narrative under the like that's in the dark and that they don't go out to seek Mm -hmm. that because they trust in what the media has to say Mm -hmm. what other people are saying about it it's surface level without understanding what the deeper implications are and i think that that gets back to what aaron was just saying you know um listening to to some of these guests you know even drawing the the line of martin luther king with his nonviolent approach but another thing he had going was how one should be judged. You know, he, he wasn't in this whole cultural, you know, millennial Z thing of, you know, don't judge me. You know, they judge me just not by my skin color, but by the content of my character. All that's changing now. Now we're mm-hmm. back to rate, you know, back to uh, it's all about the skin color. Now we're back to saying, OK, uh, by any means necessary, even violence. And then we want to cr- claim the righteousness of that initial movement, the civil rights movement. You can't have it both ways. And um, listening to these guys was so refreshing. This is the story that I've been wanting to hear in the media for a decade that I never get to hear. Uh, You know, Ian, when he was talking about academic achievement, he didn't deny that there was disparities. Yeah. He said there are disparities. Why, though? Right. And and usually if you didn't know what Ian did, if you didn't know the practitioner side, like Aaron was talking about, you might say, well, whoa, you, you don't believe in disparities. You don't believe that, that uh, black lives matter. No, I do believe. Matter of fact, I have five schools in inner city Bronx, New York, <laughs> where not only do I teach critical race theory, no, no, no. We teach the theory of how to succeed, how to be an amazing human being, how to overcome obstacles and disparities from a place of character. And, uh, and and that's the message I've been wanting to hear for a long time. Well, and, and I, you know, that's that's a good bridge over to Ian of, of and this is one of the things that, especially the, the, the modern con, you know, conversation around race, the, the modern conversation around oppression just generally, you know, uh, whether it's about poverty or race or, or, or whatever the topic is, 
all too often uh, what, what we see is the people driving that conversation, uh, they're, they're incapable of actually resolving the issue or, or helping the issue. Again, I think from a biblical worldview standpoint, there's a part of you know, an understanding that sin's not going to go anywhere until you know, Christ returns and, and uh, makes all things new. But, but in terms of actually improving these issues that people say so much about, you know, when you, when you look at uh, BLM's stated mission, when you look at really the, the, the driving forces behind critical race theory, um, you know, the, 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 the reality is the BLM and the worldview that they advocate for is incapable of making better educational out- outcomes, for example, or making the lives of, of African Americans or minorities generally better. That's right. Because the very things that they that would actually make that happen, that are proven, that the mm-hmm. data shows would make that happen, they attack. Nuclear family. The family uh, being involved with with real, again, you know again there's some of these things like God's so amazing how we build the world because it, 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 things just flow logically right. So, so yet, you know, yes, from a Christian worldview, we want to see people, you know, it's a, there's a morality aspect of, of the family and of being a part of a church, right? But from just a purely practical side, you know what I mean? Like, man, it is a whole lot easier for me to get my two girls in the tub and in bed when I got my wife there with me than when I'm doing it alone, right? And it is, it is a whole lot harder when I was a kid to get into trouble when I was uh, in a church and had people around me that were building up and pouring right. into me, mm-hmm. uh, and I was there regularly, than when I wasn't, um, and you know the the fact that that really it's it's Marxism, um, but the fact that that BLM and 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 critical race theorists and all these folks that they want to tear down these very institutions that are built to uh, support up. Uh, the family and actually help uh, folks, it shows they're incapable of doing it. If I can jump in there, and I know I'm going to make some folks mad with this, but on the other side of the coin, right, we BLM, critical race theory, you know, I get it. Um, But one of the things that hopefully we've learned from these six episodes is that we didn't just bash critical race theory. We we didn't just bash BLM. We told the, the truth about the black community and success within the black community against all odds better than they told the lie. And, and, uh, and, and I think, you know, as much as it's important to talk about the facts, like we started with this, it's also important who's telling the facts, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think if you were refreshed by these last several episodes, it's because of not just the facts, who's telling the facts? What is the heart from which it's coming from? Are they just scholars, you know, doing book reports on on people? Or are they practitioners who put their hands to the plow because they love the people that they're trying to help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to go to our, our, our third episode here where we had Daryl Harrison. Uh, and this one was one I was really excited about. Um, and, and I'll, you know, I'll be honest, Daryl, I, I follow Daryl on, on Twitter for a number of years now. Um, and... I, I like a lot of what he writes. I don't agree with everything that he writes. You know, sometimes I think uh, he'll he'll have a really hard edge on things. On and a lot of times it's not even on on the race issue. It's on uh, it, it's on more theological stuff. Um, but but I I really have appreciated the clear voice he's had uh, on, on on really what we're seeing on how the church has has attempted to respond uh, to. Uh, the the race conversation um, and how you know whether that how biblical that's been how helpful it's been 
Um, you know, Maddie and Claire, I'd be interested to hear from you guys in your churches, uh, especially with your Christian friend groups. You know, especially after it's been really a year since uh, uh, the George Floyd was murdered and and all of the the, the backlash from that. Um, what, what, what's what's been your sort of how have you seen your churches, your faith communities, and you know, Claire's Catholic, Maddie's uh, evangelical. What's been the your your your, your perception of how the your church has responded? Um, quite honestly, my church isn't afraid to talk about those things, but they tend to not make it a point to talk about them. Um, they, I mean, we, we're a very like tightly knit church and, um, we actually had a, um, a Sunday not too long ago where we literally, we didn't live stream or anything. We just came together and pass the microphone around to everyone um, mm. and let them share their stories of how COVID and everything, like the last 2020, basically everyone knows right. 2020, um, how they have seen God through that, but also sharing their struggles in that because we are a family, we're together, we're um, in this together and supportive of, of one another. So that was really awesome to see. Um, but I do... I, I kind of want them to talk more about the stuff that we're talking about. Like I talked to my, um, he, he's he been my youth pastor until I became a youth leader and he's um, basically like a father figure to me, but I'm always just like telling him about the things that we're talking about here and how we need to start talking about them in church because it's just like if, and by if you David, don't hear he it, loves you don't doing know that it. Stuff. What'd you say? I said, invite David, and he loves it. It always goes well. I, I was sitting here thinking I got some stuff to give you. I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know you were a youth leader. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I'm, uh, I didn't know you were a pastor until like two months yeah. in God, when you started God, working here. Not, not anymore. He was, he, was the, he was the evangelical version of defrocked after the cross. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, uh, Took yeah. away his skinny jeans. But, uh, no. <laughs> Now you got me lost. I lost my train of thought. Nah, nah, you gonna make her snort. All right. All right. <laughs> oh, man. Don't even Here try to make me snort. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's just something that needs to be talked more about because if you don't talk about it, people aren't gonna know. That's right. Like mm -hmm. they're they're you don't know what you don't know. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Maddie. Where it depends on where I go. I've been doing a lot of church hopping. Uh, just kind of exploring my options around here. I visit friends, visit family. I'm out of town a lot because of that. So I actually hear from a bunch of different churches. And it honestly depends on where I go, where I feel like it's what Maddie shared, where it's either, it feels like they're either completely woke, they're all BLM, they're all apologetic for being white or what have you, or it's nothing. It also it also depends on, on um, whether I'm actually in the church building or am I... So I just graduated a little bit ago, and it depends on if you're on campus. The The campus ministry, uh, the official Catholic campus ministry, they tend to be pretty liberal. So you you do hear you got to apologize for being white or, you know, we got to focus on that token black person who showed up to the event and you're going to be in all of the photos. Like my friends would joke about it. Oh, yeah, I'm Indian and I'm in all of their social media promotions mm. because they're trying to basically check mark their diversity box, which which is it's, it's sad that they're not representing reality. Like you don't want to value a person just because of their color. It's that's just as bad as saying um, that you have no worth because of your skin color. Both of those yeah. are false. And I'm like I said, I'm with Maddie where it needs to be a 
conversation. People just need to talk about this and not be afraid of getting canceled, not being afraid of losing friends because of it. I've had these conversations with my friends that I made in that circle. And they are hard, but they're good. And we both come to a place of greater understanding at the end of them. Yeah, I don't know, David, you, you, uh, you just, uh, your, your message actually the, and we keep joking about what's happened at, at Crossroads Church, but the, <laughs> the, the message that, that actually brought that opportunity around, um, was you, you were kind of talking about these issues, um, and, and talking specifically about, and trying to encourage the church, uh, to be, to be pressing into, to these issues, um, I don't know. For, I'd be just interested to hear your your advice or your take on for churches that want to, because I think Maddie and Claire just kind of laid out what what you kind of see the the church's approach being. Or, or and again, this is on the macro. I don't want to to go after one one church here in particular or anything like that. But it, a lot of times it seems like you either have, and this is you know your your whole Fox News CNN thing that you you've said before in the past as well. But you either have churches that are all woke and are sort of all down this. Everything is through the racial lens. Yeah, they, they they talk about it incessantly. Or you have churches that are like, well, we're not going to preach CRT, so we just kind of don't say anything. Yeah, it's like there's this weird. You have to abandon Christ if you want to be relevant in culture. Like if if I want to love black people because you know that's the climate, the racial climate of the day. Somehow I need to abandon my biblical worldview because BLM says that it's part of the white hegemony. And um, therefore everything I've learned in, in terms of, of, of the Bible um, is part of the problem. And, and even though we wouldn't say that verbally in our actions, that's what we've done. And you know, we abandon righteousness. And you, to, your, to your point, Maddie, um, of, of the need to reach young people, whenever we would do peer leadership, whenever an issue would come up, you know, a young man one time went into a Pick North bathroom and there was a young lady in there and the, the mother got a hold of me. That next weekend, we spent the whole Saturday talking about the transgender issue from God's law, man's law, and nature's law. Mm-hmm. So whenever we hit these issues, we hit those from those three perspectives, not just man's law, right? What culture says is right, or even legislation says is right. But what does nature's law say? And then what does God's word say? And I just want to give a real quick example. Um, you know, right now in this day and age, you know, what we're dealing with is is overflow from the sexual revolution, um, you know, where it was all about love and peace and happiness. It's the same thing today, love, peace, happiness. But now happiness has moved on to, if you don't, if I'm not happy, I'm gonna commit suicide, mm-hmm. right? And so if you don't make me happy and, and love is now connected to your ability to make me happy and give me peace, then you mean harm. And, and I just, I've been sharing this passage has been on my heart out of uh, Psalm 85. And it's when the people of God you know how we do. We go through these cycles as the people of God where, you know, it's all, um, you know, we need you, God, blah, blah. And then we get to the point where we're fixed up and now we don't need God at all. And uh, then, you know, we jack ourselves up and then now we're back crying to, for mercy. And that's where we find ourselves in Psalm 85. It's a, it's a national plea for God's loving mercy. And it says, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. So our land will be filled with his glory unfailing love and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed and and the thing i love about that is when when we look at the sexual revolution of the 60s and they were just talking about peace and love that was a counterfeit love and peace anytime you get half of the equation we just read here 
It's it's a counterfeit. You're never going to get, not if we're looking at this through the, thin, the lens of righteousness, you're never going to get love without truth and you're never going to get righteousness without peace. So body of Christ, can we please stop trying? Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a quick break here because uh, there's uh, there's so much more I want to continue to unpack here, especially uh, on how churches respond. I think this is one of the questions we get uh, the most uh, from uh, from folks reaching out to CCV right now. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break here on uh, on the narrative. We'll be right back. Center for Christian Virtue seeks the good of our neighbors by advocating for public policy that reflects the truth of the gospel. We empower people like you to have a voice in the culture on the most important political and cultural issues of the day. Through our public policy advocacy, grassroots activism, Church Ambassador Network, Ohio Christian Education Network, and Christian Business Partnership, there are countless ways for you to get involved. Join the movement today by visiting ccv.org or by clicking the link in the show notes. That's ccv.org and click join the network. Stories are a way we relate to one another. It's hard to underestimate their importance. Wessler Media is here to help you preserve those stories that you hold dear. We'll produce a personal podcast, an audio scrapbook, that will preserve those memories for generations to come. Get in touch today. Call toll-free or text 1-833-38-STORY, 1-833-38-STORY, or visit wesslermedia.com. That's W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com. And we're back on the narrative. Uh, this is CCV President Aaron Baer here with our policy director, David Mahan, doing our wrap-up episode. Also have Claire Dyson here with us, our communications coordinator, and Matty Brodsky, our uh, multimedia coordinator. Uh, bring some other perspectives. They've, they've ridden along with us on all seven of these episodes, uh, six of these episodes now, and, and hopping in here as we kind of look back and, and, and look forward. I, I just want to... I want to keep talking though on 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 where the church, how the church responds, and, and really what this last volume um, really changed my thinking or, or expanded my thinking on on how churches should be looking at this. Because I think a lot of uh, churches today uh, are looking at this issue in particular, and they're seeing so much conversation about it, uh, especially in the media, uh, especially online on Twitter. I think you know uh, one thing that Will Riley. Uh, would would probably tell them and all of that is uh, get off of social media and don't you know social social media is not the real world Twitter's not the real world um, and so the, the the conversation that's happening there is not the same conversations that's happening in your community uh, in the households of the people that you're serving um, but I, I do want to uh, talk just a little bit more uh, specifically about how how churches uh, respond to all of this because you know. Uh, the every pastor I know, well, well, first and foremost, it's really easy to beat up churches and pastors uh, in today's context, and to just say, oh, if the pastors would only do this, oh, if the church would only do this, that's always very convenient because that gets us off the hook. Um, but the 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 big thing for me that I I, I always tell folks, and and don't get me wrong, we we have frustrations with churches uh, and and pastors that are aren't uh, always we feel like being faithful to God's word. Especially this week, yeah, come. <laughs> but uh, but I, I think what 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 I always remind folks is, is that no pastor wakes up thinking, "How am I going to be, you know, derelict in my duty today? How am I how am I going to shirk the word of God today? How am I not going to be faithful to the gospel today?" And, and most of them wake up thinking, "How am I going to love my people today?" Um, and so they they see you know the, the the language that's being used by so much of the conversation around race. Uh, is language that that speaks straight to a pastor's heart um, of of brokenness and and hurting and 
and inequality and and things like that 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 you know a pastor would want to just go in uh, and, and pursue and help. Uh, and I and I think this is where you know it's one of the one of the many reasons why I have such great love and respect. Uh, I, I'm not a Catholic, but it's one of the reasons why I have such great love and respect for the Catholic Church. Um, is you know the for, for better or worse, the Catholic Church does nothing quickly. Um, they, 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 everything is a deliberative process. You know, they want to change one word uh, in in a, a doctrinal statement, and it takes years on that. And I, and I think what you know, what what what's really uh, jumped out to me, especially uh, in this last year, is a lot of pastors um, wanted to be responsive and 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 jump in there, and they missed everything else that was was building up to this uh, time, uh, and so. You know, maybe they jumped ahead of a parade or or, as, or into a parade that they didn't really realize they were were signing up for, um, and and it kind of caught up with them. Um, so I, I, you know, just a couple other wrap up things. You know, I I, I think we'd be remiss without talking specifically about Larry Wilson's uh, episode uh, with us uh, with uh, with law enforcement officers. Um, and you know, David, I'd I'd really be interested to hear from you in particular. Uh, you know, Larry talked a lot about being in schools and with kids. Um, and, you know, from from your experience working with, with kids, especially you know, African-American kids in, in cities, I mean, you work with kids from all communities, but you've spent a lot of times in the cities. What What is the, the, the predominant narrative that you're seeing with the African-American community and police officers? And, and what did you hear from Larry that was, you know, maybe a little new for you? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot more nuanced than what we hear in the media. And and like Larry said, you know, when we when he was in communities, he was he was for the most part broadly re- received very well. Um, when I was in Youngstown, um, there were law enforcement officers there, and I asked him. There was two. I, I said, "How are you all received in the community?" Very well, very well. At the same time, they're hemorrhaging law enforcement officers. Mm. Uh, they lost 18 in Youngstown over the course of 2020, and, and they're losing more and more good ones. So it's not that, you know, black folks don't like the police, as as folks are trying to, to put it at. What's really happening, though, is because of that narrative, um, folks are buying into this defund the police thing. Um, and uh, and it's going to who's that going to hurt the most? Right. Suburban communities? No, it's going to hurt, you know, black and brown communities the most. Uh, and so I, I really appreciate it, Larry. You know, he's he's a strong, uh, strong guy. Um, but it's it's really good to hear the perspective of those who walked that fine, that thin blue line, you know. Um, and, and that's what he brought. I, even though I, I may disagree or, or agree with some of the, the ways um, he did, I guess, I don't know, it how he went about um, saying certain things, I may not have said it that way, but I did appreciate how how it played out in real life. Well, I, I'll say for, with him, one of the things that is definitely going to stick with me is it, it, him telling the story of how they would uh, train kids and have kids act like they were the police officers. Right, and, and he said, <laughs> they, they all you know, where they and every time we got shot, like that, every, <laughs> that when the, when they were the ones and. and and I will say too, um, like it, and thankfully I've not been pulled over recently. Uh, but it made me think through how many times when I've even gotten pulled over for a speeding ticket, and I'm like, well, I want to be ready for when the officer comes, you know, all that kind of stuff. You want to have everything, but like, and I just start rummaging through my my glove compartment or whatever to find all, all my stuff, and it's like, man, I probably was freaking him out the entire time, right? Doing that, 
Um, and and there's just little stuff like that that, that makes such. A- and, and I and I do believe that depending on the neighborhood you're in, and this may not be a black or white thing, it's about the the prevalence of of crime. Yep. in a particular area and the people that are maybe on on a little bit more edge because of the place they work the environment they work in day right. in and day out i don't think that's as much about race as just where you live the proximity to, to crime and violent crime um and uh and he spoke to that a little bit as well yeah I, I, again like I, it, it's by all means when i'm walking down the streets of downtown columbus uh i'm i'm certainly on on alert way more than i'm i am walking through you know going on a hike you know out out someplace like and and from my perspective i may be a lot less worried about walking downtown columbus than uh you know um you know gallipolis yeah that's that's where i've had most of my police interaction issues was in towns like that yeah uh and so race does play uh, a factor it's just not as much as i think we you know we say it does yeah, and that now, now in fairness too, I'm I'm actually not all that comfortable in the woods. I'm not like David over here, <laughs> country bumpkin. Just uh, you know, he but, just looks uh, like he knows what he's doing. I, know, I got no idea. What beard. Is. Just generally speaking, I got no idea what I'm doing. But uh, it smells like he's well, in the woods. <laughs> this is again. This is my whole thing. Like I put time into my jokes about David, and then he just says, "You smell bad." Okay. All right. Or you're ugly. Uh, yeah right like all right um well we you know we're, we're running out of time here i, I just want to go around real quickly um uh claire we'll start with you uh but but want to hear you know after we we've gone through these these uh six episodes uh wrapping up the this this volume on race um you know we're, we're really had a really good conversation around anti-semitism oh no wait sorry david scratched that one are you kidding um, me so that says something itself about uh, about that. Anyway, um, but uh, you know, Claire, what's going to stick with you the most uh, through all of this? That that's a hard one because each one of these episodes, you could probably make a, an entire college course on and mm-hmm. and have material from the one episode for the entire semester. But the one point was early on from Ian Rowe that just, it, it really hit home with me. Uh, being in communications, growing up, and a uh, wide variety of backgrounds actually to get here. It was is when Ian Rowe was, was talking about uh, the focus. The focus in, in studies, in the media, it tends to be on the negative, on that percentage who is failing, that percentage who is falling behind, that percentage who is um, just not thriving in life. They may be surviving or 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 even dying. Uh, but he said, why aren't we focusing on the positive? Why aren't we focusing on that 30%, that 10%, that 5% who is succeeding? And to me, that that's a game changer because it, it turns the narrative around from being defeatist, you are what you are and you can never change, there's no hope, to no, there there is hope and there's a way of doing it. And not only that, someone else has done it and you can copy them. And that is what I want to see. Like, n- n- no, we, there's enough negativity. We don't need to be feeding that. I, I want to be feeding the success stories. We need to be magnifying that. We need to be giving people courage. When people have hope and courage for a better life, uh, they're going to be happier, going to have better yeah. outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, Maddie, what, what jumped out to you? Uh... There, like like Claire said, there's just like so much good content here, and like, um, but the thing I really took away from it was that we can't be afraid of 
being canceled for standing against the lies and like uh bringing light to the lies um and that the people that are canceling are the minority and the majority of people are uh wanting the truth they don't want to like go along with these lies that are being told um and um these guests did a wonderful amazing job of shedding light on those things and really telling the truth about each and every single um subject on these episodes um there, there's really nothing that i can yeah. just pinpoint really yeah. just there's so many good things on yeah absolutely on this. yeah i think for me it's it's pretty much the same thing it's it's not any one particular thing but just looking back like we are today i'm so just blessed and proud of the ones that uh that were here and the ones that were talking the perspectives and just just so thankful to hear how over the years in various categories and segments of society uh, a, a loving group of people, not loving based on culture, pop culture, you know, loving based on God's word, mm. a loving group of people who surrounded young people and upheld the standard, the high standard of righteousness. Um, it, it was just it was awesome to hear that. I, I do want to share just a verse that's been on my heart. Um, I think where the body of Christ is struggling is with the definition of love. It, they're mm. struggling with the concept of judging versus uh, you know, just just upholding a standard of righteousness. And I'm talking about within the body. I'm not talking about even just with, with folks that don't love the Lord. Those that within the body, there's a scripture in Galatians 6, 1. Uh, in Galatians, it's, it's uh, the verse, uh, brethren, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, any sin, you who are spiritual, right? You who love the Lord, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or love, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Right. So this whole thing where, you know, it used to be um, John 316 was the most quoted scripture verse. Today, it's judge not lest you be judged. And based on the, the culture's definition of love, that means you can't decipher truth from a lie. You know, uh, what is what is godly versus what is not godly? And, and, and that's just the wrong way of looking at it. This is talking about judge not lest you be judged. It's talking about con condemnation as, as a judge has an opportunity to put somebody in jail to condemn you for life and uh but but what god is wanting us to do is to judge behavior to the point where if you see somebody who is in sin who is living uh, you know the wrong way restore that person in love gently right but then being careful that you don't what sin as well right so we need to get off of the the, the cultural version of love and we need to get back to god's version of love and um that's what i heard through all of these guys how can we love well within our community um, without hating people who don't look like we do in our community. Yeah, or, or don't think like we do. Right. Um, and no, I, I, amen. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, one of the, the things that uh, that's gonna jump out when I think about the uh, a common thread through, through all of the, the speakers that we had, I think, you know, Daryl Harrison at, at one point, um, and, and again, this is one of those things that I, I don't always, I don't want to say I disagree with him, but I, I, I thought it was sometimes it's a little over uh, simplified down. Um, but it's it's a good point where, where he's like, well, you know, we're, we're, what is race? Well, we're all just a human race. Well, there is there, there is even when you look at, you know, Ian Rowe did that study with with Brad Wilcox that showed, look, the, the predominant uh, driver of these educational outcomes is family structure. 
uh, where you know an uh, uh, African American male in a two parent home, right. the success uh, is, yeah, is going to do is going to do better than a white male in a one parent home, and and that's true. And again, like that's that's where, where a lot of from a public policy standpoint, that's a, that's a really good uh, indicator, a really good place to be thinking through. Okay, what do we do that's actually helpful for the community? However, that same study did show an African American male from a two parent home doesn't succeed as well as a a white male from a two parent home. Like right. there there is still. So, so it, there's still disparities there. Right. There's still there's still conversations. There's still issues that need to be had there. There's still again the the the, the disparate uh, experience uh, David has in Cal Police compared to me, and, and maybe the different disparate experiences I have uh, in the inner city compared to to, to David. Um, but there is there is still something there to be to be uh, explored or understood and, and and discussed. But I think that the the thing that all of these uh, all of our guests that we had on that really brought to the forefront um was one uh if if you're being offered a simple solution to any problem but especially when you're talking about societal problems uh it's probably not right it's 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 probably uh not going to actually get you there uh, you know, and 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 if everything, you know, the, the the simple solution to everything is well, it's just racism. You know, that that that's that's what we're we're being told. And um, all of these the, these gentlemen we had on the the guest to to a person just just talked about how uh, how how personal all of these things are. And so when you know, again, this is one of those things where we run a public policy organization. We all work at a public policy organization here at CCV, um, but we're so big on a. St- often just pointing people to say, yeah, public policy is not the solution to that thing. You know what I mean? That public policy can do a lot, uh, can, can, can answer a lot of questions, can, can, resol- can, can resolve, can right a lot of wrongs, but can't fix everything. Um, and, and so much of these issues that we're seeing today uh, around uh, the race conversation can't be fixed by public policy, you know? Um, they, 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 it can't be resolved by a new law or something like that. Does law play a role in it? Yes, the Civil Rights Act, you know, was was very important. You know, the the Thirteenth Amendment, the, you know, all, all of these types of things play play key roles in, in righting wrongs. But they're they're not going to get you to to everywhere you want to be. And and when when people are suggesting that it does, uh, they're just they're just missing the mark. Um, well, we'd be interested to hear from you on, on what really uh, spoke to you uh, in this in this last episode. If if uh, you know, drop us an email at info at ccv.org um, to to tell us what you liked, or or find us uh, on on Twitter or Facebook. CCV Policy is our handle on on both of those. Um, we're uh, we're so grateful for you going on this this ride with us. This has been a lot of fun, honestly. That's right. For 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 the hard time David and I giving each other, uh, I, I am grateful for. <laughs> Uh, for his friendship and, and the wisdom he brings uh, to this conversation. Uh, grateful for Claire and Maddie for uh, helping uh, produce uh, all, all these episodes with us. Our, our friend uh, Vince Tornero for uh, all his many skills on producing uh, his podcast. And, and if uh, for all of your audio needs, look up uh, Wessler Media. Um, we'll pray uh, for him and his wifey. Yes, yes. Little one on the way. That's right. Uh, uh, blessings coming here for him. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're grateful for you uh, riding this out with us here uh, on the narrative. Uh, and uh, we're going to be coming back for the next volume. Volume two will be coming out sometime in early fall. Uh, again, interested in your thoughts uh, on on what you'd be interested in us unpacking. Um, we've got a few thoughts of our own and, and looking forward to rolling that out. Uh, but uh, be sure to uh, like and, and subscribe to, to the narrative wherever you get your podcast. And that way, when we come back, it'll show right up for you. And we'll catch you here next time. 